0: or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot
1: G'day, mates. It's B Buster here. And before the episode begins, I would just like to let you know that Be Scared, which is produced along with Studio 71, features scary stories from around the globe on a weekly basis that aim to fuel your nightmares with a smile. And if you enjoy the podcast, it would be great if you could hit that subscribe button and drop a review. But thanks for listening, guys. And without further ado, let's begin. my baby sister was three or so, she suddenly developed an imaginary friend. I was a tween at the time, so I was honestly quite glad that she had something to distract her other than me, considering that I was her built-in babysitter 24-7 and like all cusp of puberty kids, would much prefer watching TV than constantly entertaining a toddler. So naturally, I always encouraged her to play with said friend and she would do so all hours of the day, giggling away in the living room as I supervised in peace. My parents too were a little bit shocked as to how taken my sister had suddenly become with her friend, but my mum would just chat away with her friend as to how funny it was. Both she and I never had imaginary friends, so we both thought that it was just sort of interesting. My dad, however, was more quiet on the subject, but... I didn't think anything of it at the time. Anyway, after about a month or so, we're all in the living room and my sister is playing. My mum is on the phone with my grandmother and she suddenly calls over, What's your friend's name, baby? And my baby's sister replies, Kevi. My dad immediately shoots up from his seat and he has the weirdest look on his face. He goes to my sister and asks her to say their name again. And after he does... My dad looks straight sick. Now, my dad is a guy who wears his heart on his sleeve and isn't afraid of showing his emotions, but never before had I seen such a look of raw horror on his face. Even now, ten years later, I've never seen him so scared before. My dad runs to the back of the apartment and I follow out of curiosity, but he just calls for my mum, and they shut me out of the room. Eventually, later that day or the next, my dad tells me a story. You see, he had an imaginary friend when he was little named Kevy. and considering that he was the youngest kid in his family by more than 10 years, Kevy was his best friend. He had this imaginary friend for over 5 years or so, and my dad told me that at first Kevy was normal, but as time went on, he got meaner and meaner and eventually escalated into telling my dad terrible things, and that he should do terrible things. This scared the heck out of my dad, and one day he told Kevy to go away, and he just did. My dad had never told his family about the bad things Kevy had said, and they all assumed that he naturally grew out of it, and never mentioned that he had an imaginary friend to anyone, including my mother and I. He also didn't tell me exactly what Kevi had said to him either, and I didn't push, because he looked really terrified. Anyway, the next week or so, my family saged the house repeatedly, went to churches, and left cleansing tablets in all entrances to the apartment. We told my sister Kevi wasn't allowed to stay anymore, and while she was upset at first, eventually she stopped mentioning him and we never talked about it again. It has been a decade since then and only recently has this memory come back to me after I've reconnected with my dad and we were reminiscing about our time in that apartment. I didn't mention this event to him though, my family is very superstitious and so we completely dropped it, save for continuously saging every couple of months. This had always been a a long buried memory and honestly even sharing it out loud like this, it feels sort of wrong. What comes to mind when you picture the perfect roommate? One who comes when you call? One who doesn't forget to lock the doors? One who doesn't steal your milk just a little bit at a time, hoping you won't notice? At Apartments.com, they understand that. When it comes to roommates, a pet can be your best bet. They're easygoing, eat what you serve them, and never clog the toilet. That's why they have the most pet-friendly rental listings on the internet. And with instant alerts, you'll know the moment your perfect, pet-friendly place becomes available. So, when you need a place that's pet-friendly and human-tolerant, check out Apartments.com, the place to find your pet-friendly place.
0: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take. Whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs, or making dream projects a reality, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.
1: So many years ago, I became a certified nurse assistant. It was a simple job. Basically, we're taking care of adults all day. Now, I've had my fair share of scary stuff. Wiping butts, cleaning poop off the floor, but these came with the job. And quite frankly, you become sort of numb to it after a while anyway. But that's not what I want to share. I wanted to tell my experience of when a patient is close to death. What I mean is that scary things tend to happen in the days leading up to it. So let's start with my first experience. I won't name names due to laws and regulations, but we'll start with Jay. Now, Jay was a retired Marine who saw combat in Vietnam and also a retired chef. Jay was one bad dude. Years of smoking created a hole in his throat, so it was hard for him to talk. Although, you could understand some things. Now, the first thing to change when close to death is smell coming from one person's body. It's hard to explain, but it just sort of smells like rotting meat. I know, horrible, but when I noticed the smell on Jay, I sat with Jay and talked about life in general. I'm trying not to talk about death, but steering it that way. We finally got onto the topic, and Jay's just whole attitude sort of flip-flopped. He put up a hand signaling me to stop talking. He took a deep breath and mustered up some words. Last night, there was men in my room. My heart sank, tall and and dark, wearing top hat. I could visibly see the fear in Jay's eyes. Combat and being a sheriff in the 80s couldn't have prepared him for what he saw that night. I had a blank stare, I didn't know what to tell him. He was visibly stressed, though. He shrugged his shoulders at me and continued watching his show. Maybe an hour or so passed. Jay was in the living room and I was in the kitchen. The TV volume was up a bit due to Jay's hearing. We both sort of jumped when we heard a loud bang in his room across the way. It wasn't a normal sound, though. It sounded like somebody had chucked a piece of steak at the floor. It was such a distinctive sound... Even with Jay's hearing, he heard it too. He looked over to me with eyebrow raised. I assumed that it was somebody in the house. I looked at Jay and told him to stay put. I needed to check the house. Now, I slowly rounded the corner to the hall. I looked slowly towards his door and saw a a shadow from under the door. And finally yelled, Get out of this house now or I'll call the police. I opened the door quickly, but... There was nothing everything was untouched and in its place windows and curtains were left as is i searched the whole room but there was no one i went back to jay and explained what had happened he gave me a look and said dark man i was frozen scared to turn around but i quickly turned to see nothing behind me but jay was fixed on the corner of the hall he could see something that I couldn't. Now, Jay being the sort of fella that he was, I flipped off the air and turned back to his show. I'm freaking out now. I proceeded to search the whole house, every door and nook, under the beds, in closets, nothing. It was all empty. My shift of 12 hours was about to end. The other nurse finally arrived. I let them in and explained what was going on. They too are creeped out since they have the overnight shift, but in the end I left with a lot of questions and really spooked. Fast forward to the next day, I get a call saying that Jay had passed away during the night, but they had found him on the floor beside his bed. The overnight nurse heard a loud thump in the middle of the night and rushed into the room to find Jay on the floor, not breathing, no pulse. Since he had a DNR, there was nothing that we could do. Days later, it was determined that he had a heart attack and tried to leave the bed. He had rolled to the edge of the bed and his body rolled off the side, hitting the floor, making a sound like meat hitting a solid floor. The same sound heard the very day before by me and Jay. So, on to experience number two. I once did live in care for this man, F. F was an older gentleman. He lived in a 110-year-old Victorian home. He was a lifelong mechanic, and he was also really smart. He was diagnosed with dementia and Alzheimer's, a mix that would cause a lot of confusion and combative incidents. Besides this, though, he really was as sharp as could be. Now, this one particular night, F seemed on edge. I asked what was going on, He explained that he has recently been hearing things, that it was hard for him to sleep. I sort of shrugged it off and helped him into bed. I walked to my room and snuggled into bed, ready to sleep. A few minutes passed by, and I heard a yell coming from F's room. I jumped up and ran over. F was in the corner of his bed, full fetal position, scared out of his mind. I flicked the light on and asked what's going on. F explained that... There was a demon sitting on his desk in the corner watching him. He explained its skin was black like burnt and charred, its eyes sunken with black voids. He said that it smiled at him. Now, as a med professional, it is imperative that we keep a professional standpoint. But that night, I have to admit, it shook me to the core. I talked about God with him and prayed with him. All the time, F is glancing around me at the desk over and over He had a sort of look of despair on his face. We finished talking and I head toward the door. But then, F, the manliest man that I'd ever really known, asked the weirdest question with reasonable cause. He said, ''Will you sleep on my bed with me?'' I sort of chuckled and asked, ''Why would I?'' He cut me off and with pure fear in his eyes says, ''Because it has never left.'' It's still there, while you were praying it was mimicking what you were saying in the sort of low demonic tone. Now, I'm completely spooked. Quite honestly, nothing could have prepared me for that response. I tried my best to keep a straight face, remember professionalism. I responded, of course, but I'll sleep on the recliner in the corner. Heedless to say, I didn't sleep that whole night. A few weeks passed and it was morning. I was helping F out of bed. He turned quickly and was fixed on the old oak stairs out the door. He was very distracted all of a sudden. He didn't speak the whole time and when we walked down the stairs, he was fixed on the top the whole time too. Anyway, we sat down for breakfast. He dropped his fork on the plate and sat back, looked me in the eyes. He pointed to the doorway in the kitchen Are those your nieces or something? I was taken aback. What? I asked, confused. Those kids there, are they with you? Now I began to feel a cold wind down my back, and chills formed from my head to toe. F, there are no children there. But then, I heard a child's laugh come from the staircase. I jump up... F turns toward the corner of the room and asks the wall, "'How long have you been dead?' I screamed out, "'F, what are you talking about?' The children, their clothes look old, and their faces sort of sunken in. They look like they've been decaying for a long time. By now, I jumped up and explained that I needed a moment. I walked out of the kitchen more scared than I had ever been. I eventually collected myself and returned.' F was there, unfazed, eating his eggs, and I just sat there, not knowing what to do. Now, most of my experiences have been somewhat scary, even terrifying, but definitely what tops the books is death itself. There are just so many unknowns with that. Many people fear death because the afterlife is an unexplainable thing. We only have testimonies from people who have passed for a certain number of minutes, I'm fortunate enough to have never brushed with death, but I've witnessed it firsthand a number of times. And here is one of those stories with the ending hours of F's life. So, months had passed since the whole kitchen incident. Not much scary things had happened besides the occasional noise in the house or footsteps on the oak staircase. Most of the house was original wood floors. Remember that this house was about 110 years old. So, anomalies weren't too worrisome. I can only imagine the number of things that happened in that old house, though. In those months, though, F has had a steady decline in health. It had gotten to the point that he no longer would talk or eat. Hospice is involved now, too. For those who don't know, it's an organization that helps with those close to death. The hospice's goal is to provide comfort... So F, most of the time, was given regular doses of morphine to make his pending passing more comfortable. I walked into F's room to make some routine vitals. I held his wrist with my pointer and middle finger looking for a pulse. Huh, strange, I said to myself. His pulse was barely there. Med personnel call it thread pulse and it was really slow. I began counting his breathing. I'm in my head watching his chest rise, then fall. One, I would say to myself, I don't remember the exact count, but I do remember panicking. It was way too low for oxygen intake. Like most elderly people, DNRs are in effect, so I really couldn't do much. I knew that he would pass within a few hours, so in order to make his passing comfortable, I put up a chair. I began reading a book to him. The last thing to deteriorate is hearing, apparently. Even when comatosed, people can still hear what's around them sometimes. I was about halfway through the book. For sake of information, F has been comatosed and in a fluid state due to the morphine that he doesn't respond or move anymore. But right now, I was about to have the biggest jump scare of my life. Because F's eyes shot open and began scanning the room at a fast pace. He reached out and grabbed my arm. My heart hit my throat. His breathing intensified. It was quick and shallow. I began trying to pull away. I grabbed F's hand, his eyes fixed on me. I was looking right into his eyes, and he had this 1,000-yard stare going on. Blank, no expression. He didn't say anything, but I was petrified. I didn't move, just stared into F's eyes. His breathing slowed a tear began to fall from his eye. I mustered up the courage. I said, ''It's okay F. It's time to go. Don't be afraid. I'm here with you. You're not alone.'' And with that, he took a deep breath and I watched his life leave his eyes. It's... hard to explain the experience or how you can literally see life leave somebody's eyes. His grip though loosened on my arm. His hand turned ice cold, his hand fell to his side. Watching his last breath wasn't a a fearful one, more like a relief, I guess, like it was finally over. I watched fearful eyes turn into blank, dilated pupils. His head fell forward to his pillow, eyes still locked on mine. Even after passing, his eyes stayed open. I reached for his wrist. It was still warm, but also cooling, I search for a pulse and there's nothing. I reach for his neck, no pulse. I watch his chest, no rise or fall. I check my watch, 1628, time of death. I write it down and I call hospice. They send out an RN right away. They confirm death. We call F's friend and only known trustee. She's in another state hours away. She asked, though, that we lock up and unplugged appliances, but that whole ordeal, man, was it traumatizing. Anyway, the coroner arrives hours later. They rolled the gurney in, unzipped their body bag, the smell alone coming from them, like death and cheap cleaner. It's a smell that I'll never forget. They walked into F's room and wrapped him into his bed sheets. They lifted him onto the gurney, wiped down his hospital bed... They had the RN and me fill out a form, gave us a card, and just like that, F's body was taken away. Now, F was single, no children, and no known family. It was the end of a family line as far as we could tell. The RN said her goodbyes and walked out. I was left alone in this giant, empty, quiet house. I began locking up the doors and the windows, turning off the lights and unplugging appliances, I walk into F's room and the coroner's smell is still lingering. I sit on the chair, still scooted up to his bedside, and sat there for what felt like hours. I was just thinking about everything that had happened. It was hard. Truth be told, I became depressed for a while afterward, questioning everything that I knew about life. Watching somebody's life slip away like that, while staring them directly in the face... It messes you up a bit. Anyway, I'm past it all now, but the scars, they are definitely still with me. When I was a senior in college a few years ago, I lived in an old house about a five minute walk from my campus with five of my girlfriends. It was still COVID time, so we spent a lot of time just in the house, since we could not really go anywhere. To preface this as well, this house was old, and many of the windows didn't lock. Our landlords sucked, as many colleges ones do, and didn't do anything to fix the issue. But with it being six of us, and often a boyfriend or two sleeping in the house, it felt mostly safe, and many of us would keep our windows open anyway. Our college was in a town just outside of the second most dangerous city in the state, but right around the campus it felt relatively safe. Anyway, when the weather started getting warmer in early spring, we would sit out on the roof to sunbathe and this roof faced our street. We would access the roof from our roommates, let's call her Mary, her bedroom window on the second floor since it led straight to the roof. Our street was residential and it didn't get a ton of traffic, but we did have a couple of encounters of younger guys catcalling us as they drove by, but nothing seemed sinister as we were college kids. One night, though, late in the semester, Mary went up to her room to call her brother while the rest of us were hanging downstairs. That was when she rushed downstairs and said that she saw a ladder leading up to the roof where we would all sunbathe and right near her window which was open. Later, we learned she said out loud to her brother what she saw before she came down. When she told us this, my other roommate and her boyfriend ran outside to find a man running away from our house with the ladder, who we assume heard Mary telling her brother she saw the ladder and knew that he was caught. It was dark, so they could not make out anything about him. I immediately texted our landlord asking if he had someone to come by the house to do any work, and he said no. We then called the police who came by, they did some investigating and patrolled our house for a couple of nights, but we never found out who the man was, what his intentions were, or even if perhaps he had been there before. This happened when I was 14. I'm 29 as of the time of sharing this, but I remember this story from time to time, meaning like once or twice every few years. It still gets me in a weird mood for some reason too. Anyways, I was walking with one of my friends in the city the other day. I tried holding her hand, but then she thought that I just bumped into her and apologized, so I was able to recover smoothly. Then I saw a group of kids skateboard past us and, lo and behold, that was the thing that sparked this memory so I figured that I'd write it down. I'm not going to use this kid's real name so I'll just call him Vinny. I come from a town where the people you went to school with in kindergarten were the same kids that you graduated with. Vinny moved to our school about halfway through the year. When new kids came to our school, everybody would always flock to them. At 14, I was kind of a dork, but also kind of a douche, which made me surprisingly likable to most people for some reason. Vinny would always sit by himself during lunch. Something I found amusing about him was that he would get infuriated if people asked him if he skated. I took that as a challenge to try and get to him, and it worked. The first time he and I had class together, I remember the teacher asking him if he had his books yet, He responded with, My wife never confirmed my school schedule with the front office. I remember everybody thought that that was funny. You're 14 years old and you have a wife. He was clearly trying to get one over on the teacher. My friends and I were skating after school and we saw Vinny at some point. I remember talking to my friends about what he said and we all became oddly infatuated with this kid. It took some doing but... After about a week of letting him hang out with us, he became one of the boys. One of my buddies asked if we could go sleep at his house on a Friday night, under the guise that we took turns at staying at each other's houses to skate, play video games, and smoke the green stuff. He looked perturbed, which is something I wish mattered to me back then, but the next day at school, he did say that it was okay after asking his parents. My buddies and I rode our bikes to where he lived with clothes for the night and our skateboards strapped to our bags. We met his family, who at face value seemed completely fine. But then things got a little bit weird. What I mean is that first, his dad had a huge weapons collection. At the time I thought that it was pretty awesome to be honest. He even took us out into a field by a canal to shoot some of his assault rifles. I know, I know, that wasn't cool of him without our parents' consent. Next, we met Vinny's wife. Yeah, the girl was real. She was also 26. And while we did live in the southern US, yeah, I know, I know, even this was taboo. They would like hold hands and stuff and at the time we honestly thought that it was pretty cool. It was like dating a senior when you're a freshman, only he was in high school and she paid taxes Things kind of got to a new level of weird though when Vinny's dad had his arm around Vinny's mum and his other arm around a girl that couldn't have been terribly older than we were at the time. Apparently, that was also his wife. We then spent about two hours praying with the family in the living room. I was raised Catholic but couldn't determine which religion that they were practicing. Once we finished with that, we went outside to start skateboarding. After a few minutes, his dad came outside and ordered us into the house. Vinny's mother then had us stand in line outside of the bathroom to take a bath. It still skeeves me out that too, but I remember that we weren't allowed to drain the water from the tub. I was the last one to bathe. Also, all of the mirrors in the house were covered with sheets. I have no idea the significance of this. It makes more sense to me to not have mirrors at that point. But... We were told to go to bed, even though the sun wasn't even down yet. Vinny went to bed with his wife. The three of us that remained just laid there in one single queen-sized bed and talked about how much fun we weren't having. But the final straw for the night was having to hear Vinny's parents, and maybe the other woman, doing the dirty in the next room. It was almost 11pm when we decided to just get on our bikes and leave. It was dark and we had to ride through some pretty bad neighborhoods, but we made it safe to my buddy's house. Vinny's mother would also later call our parents and leave some pretty cryptic messages, which implied trouble. Vinny was pulled from school about a week later, and after that, we never saw him again. Now, I don't know what that family was into. Maybe it wasn't as bad as I thought it was as a kid, and I just didn't understand something. All I do know is that we felt incredibly uncomfortable, so uncomfortable that we decided to leave. I have no issues with religion, but if this was part of their practice, I think it's a little bit weird. Out of curiosity, I went to find Vinny on Facebook. All I can confirm is that he, his mother, father, and one of his sisters had died. There were no public records of what happened to them. Or if they even died at the same time or anything. It was a really bizarre experience and one that I'll never forget. It's something that I come back often to as well and I think it's worth the tell. I do wish I had a bit more information about the family and what happened to them but I guess I may just never know. This did not happen recently. I believe that this was when I was maybe 9 to 11 years old. I'm currently 17. So, me and my best friend, Katie, were at our elementary school park. We often hung out at this park due to us both living on either side of it, so it was massively convenient. Our city is dangerous as it is known for high rates of robberies, sexual assault, and even human trafficking because of a major highway that runs through our city. Me and her rode our bikes to our favorite picnic table that day, and this table is positioned to where we can clearly see the church across the street. Keep this in mind, and also all street intersections. It's a spot that we can all see with no obstructions. So we're sitting on the top of the table and simply talking about whatever it is that a kid is talking about when suddenly i had a weird feeling and i look up we're facing the church across the street we are not far from this street but we're far enough that i question what i saw this grown man is wrestling with this very small child outside of his car the back door of his car is open i'm unsure if the child was walking alone because i was not looking at the time I also do not know where the car pulled up. In any case, me and Katie are staring, horrified, and we're completely silent and transfixed on what is happening. When suddenly, he picks the child up and throws them into the back of the car. He runs around to the driver's side and speeds off. This happens in the span of like 30 seconds, maybe to a minute. Now, the reason why I'm unsure on what I saw is because I didn't hear the child make any noise, but... We were far enough away that we may not have heard anything to begin with. The child was also in a very large neon orange construction jacket to the point of where it may not have been a child at all, that is how large the jacket was. If it wasn't a child then why on earth would he throw that person into their car like that and then speed off? What I mean is that when he threw the jacket or the child he put a lot of effort into it, Meaning that it was heavier than a jacket lift. After this, we just stood there silently. We eventually were just like, what the heck was that? We got onto our bikes and sped off to her house. And I think about it regularly. Me and her are still best friends. We haven't brought it up in a very long time. I'm really not sure if she even remembers this, but it always haunts me. Did I witness a child being kidnapped? A parent abusing their kid? Or something that looked really sinister but wasn't whatsoever? It's a confusing event and I've explained it as best as I could, but I don't know. Something tells me that it was a kid being kidnapped. So for context, my family was on holiday in Spain at a resort where you have a sort of small bungalow type building to yourself with different rooms. At this time I was around 8, my sister 10 and my brother around 16. The first thing that happened was when me, my mum and my sister were sleeping in the same bed due to an arrangement between my parents And as I was the smallest, I had to lay across the bottom horizontally towards the doorway. I woke up and saw my sister out of bed at one point, which is not unusual in itself. However, she was wearing a very specific onesie that would never be packed for a holiday to Spain, but one that we definitely had at home. Last I remembered, both my sister and I were wearing a vest and pants to bed. So I look over to where she was before and she's sound asleep, not in the onesie. The next morning I looked and we didn't bring it. A day after that, my sister told me to stop walking around at night as it was creeping her out. I never did this so I asked her to explain. She said that she saw me creeping around the bed apparently and when she called out to me, I said shush. Years later, I was telling my mum about it and she said that she also saw me creeping around my parents' bed and that my dad started waking up at like 3.15 every night that we were there unprompted. My parents also had the worst fights while we were there. I'm pretty skeptical, but I am wondering, was there something more to this than just Illusions?